0: I'm Anoush and welcome to the New Statesman podcast. This week I'm joined by Alva Ray and Patrick McGuire to discuss the floods, to give our impressions of the campaign trail, and you ask us, what will Northern Ireland change in this election? Hi, it's Anoush. I'm joined by Patrick and Alva for the Politics Podcast this week. We're going to discuss uh, floods, first of all, because more rainfall, as at the time that we're recording, more rainfall is expected in the places that have been ravaged by floods in the past week. There's been a lot of clips of Boris Johnson going up, walking around, trying to sort things out and speak to people, but he hasn't had a very good reception so far, has he?
2: Gosh, those clips are horrendous, yeah. aren't they? And very, very sad in a lot of cases. Yeah, so it's day six of the flooding, basically, and you just see all these people asking him where he's been and, and like sort of there's so much upset and anger. I think the really interesting thing is the way they're also recalling his earlier promises from basically his like pre-election campaign when he was in office mm. after the summer and making all of these promises in the expectation of an election and targeting exactly those people and like they haven't forgotten they were asking him about his towns fund today when he was there and you know they're asking him where that is as well and my feeling is just that I mean, it's impossible to poll this sort of thing because you're hardly going to poll these people in a really vulnerable, difficult situation. Ask, you know, how you know how are you going to cast your vote on the 12th of December. What do you think of the backstop. <laughs> yeah, Boris or Corbyn. You know, like it's it's impossible to poll this sort of thing, and it'd be completely inappropriate to basically. But I just don't see how this this won't undo months of very deliberate targeting of ex- of exactly these people because I mean they've they have an upfront experience of. Boris Johnson as prime minister and they feel let down by him. Mm.
3: Yeah, I think the whole episode is an object lesson in the benefits being in government during an election campaign bestows upon you as a campaign and the and the benefits of being op- in opposition. For example, Jeremy Corbyn has been up there yeah, in his wellies, you know, mixing it with local MPs, most of whom are all Labour, you know, your Flints, your Milibands, singular Miliband, just dead. Um, although I'm most sure... the pity. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> Where was David listen, Well, listeners of this particular podcast would, would love Milibands in the plural, be that Ralph or David. But anyway... Um, you know, so he can, he can go up, he can crucially, just basically say whatever he wants. He could say, you know, a Labour government, not only would this be a national emergency, but I would give each of you money towards a new patio. Whereas with Johnson, Johnson does have the machinery of the state behind him, so he can say, I'm going to get the business department to give all the shops on the high street that have been flooded special rates relief or, you know, money for renovations or whatever. But... He doesn't have that capacity to be nimble and just pop up and say whatever he likes. He's also constrained by his role in government. Also, they, they will hold him to account for whatever is happening. You know, he is the prime minister, which is why, you know, sort of gives the lies to this whole idea. You can run a hopey, changey, turn on the spending taps campaign while you're in government. Because the risk is, hang on, you are the prime minister. Why haven't you sorted this out? now
0: Mm.
2: this is why it's so baffling to me that his campaign team didn't think on day one well let's you know let's get him up there well let's seize on the benefits of incumbency even from a cynical perspective let's have him there looking prime ministerial listening nodding and sort of sorting it out and then like you know fudge the details even but it's like the way it's day six and that's student that's such an easy figure for people to be really upset by
3: there's a clear parallel here with the london riots Mm. when you know he was in an RV somewhere in the, somewhere in the Rockies turned up eventually, then came to Tottenham high street or wherever it was and waved a broom around theatrically. And obviously when he was in Specsavers, not knowing how to mop on Friday oh, night, yeah. that was a clear, yeah. you know, it was, I had such bad deja vu. It gave me whiplash, but I mean, I suppose the <laughs> crucial thing with the London riots is that he got re-elected the year after. So if, if I'm going to take that metaphor to its logical conclusion, <laughs> we're, we're all looking forward to five more years of Tory Goodman. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting what you say about, you know, why didn't they get him up there earlier? I mean, was this was this sort of situation where he looks like he was late to the scene and, and uncaring, was it avoidable? Because, I mean, surely they could have known December election, what are the dangers? One of those dangers is extreme weather conditions, which can, you know, mm. turn people's opinions and, and can change the focus of what people are talking about. Why didn't they think of that? And it's sort of, it's been a theme, hasn't it, in these areas where where there's been flooding that the funding formula is skewed towards the southeast for flood Mm. defences you know no one ever comes and and cares about us the leader of leeds council i remember at the time when tadcaster was cut in half by the bridge being flooded and breaking i remember her saying we're ignored you know you go and help the people in somerset who are flooded but you you leave us on our own up here um Mm. so you know surely it could have been foreseen that there would be that kind of resentment
2: and it's not like he's been doing terribly successful pay- campaigning elsewhere. I mean, I know he's been in hospitals, even though that can you know, turn out to be a bit ropey. But I mean, at one point, he was at a crisp factory in Northern Ireland. He was at the Tato Castle, which is a um, favourite destination for school trips. Um, I mean, what, what on earth was he doing there? They're not even fielding any candidates, as far as I'm aware. And Yeah, I they
3: think well, they're, they're fielding four, but like, obviously, as we all know, they're not going to win. No, I mean, he has to sort of like, as leader of the Conservative Party, like tip his hat mm. to the existence of. I was told off for saying this on radio also the other day, but like about fifty eccentrics who really care. Um, <laughs> but and I suppose uh, you know you have to, as much as it's inimical to the Conservative Party, acknowledge the existence of Northern Ireland as a, uh, an integ- integral part of the UK yeah, and
2: probably get it get it out of the way at the start of the campaign. But, but, but yeah, basically, but as yeah. you said, like it's
3: mm-hmm. like a waste of half a day when you could be on the stump in Mansfield or somewhere that is yeah. statistically significant to this election.
2: And even with that, you know, that sort of Vogue-style 73 questions video that came out <laughs> last night, yeah. that's, like, really got people's attention. I mean, I, I watched it right after watching the news and so I mean I don't know if everyone will have this context but I was just so aware that people will be watching that really aware of the state of emergency that they're in or like the really really sad news stories that they've just seen and it like, I think it's still quite bad optics for him to be it's in his jarring, office yeah and for, for there to be no, no mention of it I mean even if it looked like you know he was up at HQ working really hard but aware of the situation that would be better um, yeah I see what you mean yeah. because it wasn't like there was no policy
0: in that video was no. there I mean he Got to speak about Brexit and all that stuff, as well as Marmite and yeah, yeah, yeah. walking his dog. So it is a bit strange <laughs> to just leave it out. It was at the top of the news bulletins yeah. yesterday.
3: Yeah, because it, it, it's interesting because it sort of exposes the one area on which Corbyn polls well and has a clear lead, which is if you poll personality attributes, as you did last week, the ones where Corbyn has an absolutely stonking lead are on authenticity and. Does he care? Mm. You know the, the 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 entire and this is the big strategic confusion of the Tory campaign, which is: do they paint Corbyn as a, a crazy Marxist extremist, or just like a bit of a, a sap who, mm-hmm. a well-meaning sap who you know can't tie his own shoelaces? You know the floods is well. You know if Corbyn goes up and he hugs a granny whose <laughs> cat's just drowned, and he's there and Johnson isn't. That to mm. me seems an opportunity to turn the. I'm authentic and I care, into I'm actually, you know, willing to pull my sleeves up and help you out in times of need. Whereas, you know, the inverse is true of Johnson. He's a posher who doesn't understand what it means to be an ordinary person, as countless angry people in Doncaster have told him today. Mm. Does that then begin to look like incompetence and... Yeah. It's an interesting question.
0: And there are a lot of people. I was reading this research that JRF has done into low-income voters who, whose turnout mm. went up massively last election. There are a lot of people who favour understands people like me over strong leader in terms of the leadership qualities that they, they prefer. It's, apparently there's over 2 million swing voters who, who have that preference. So it's quite an interesting contrast. So we've all been out and about. Stephen's not with us today because he's in Wakefield. So Mm -hmm. um, we're getting around and we want to talk about the impressions that we've been picking up um, as we've been reporting in different constituencies. So Mm -hmm. let's talk about where where we've been, first of all. Patrick, where where have you been?
3: So I think I've been to, you know, I bet you say that to all the constituencies, (laughs) but I've been to, I think, three constituencies, two out of which are two of the most interesting in this election, certainly in, in England and in their own way sum up the various moving parts in this election. So last week I went to Ashfield and Mansfield in Nottinghamshire. Mansfield, of course, being one of the five Conservative gains the Tories made in England in 2017. Nottinghamshire, Pit Town, won by the Tories for the first time in their existence. Young Ben Bradley, the MP, there looking to retain it. But next door is Ashfield, which demographically, whatever, ought to have also gone blue. Gloria De Piero, who has since resigned, retained it on a 441... Majority for Labour, and now her former office manager, an ex-miner called Lee Anderson, is now trying to win it for the Tories. And <laughs> on a good day, you would think, well, it's Mansfield 2.0, ex-mining towns and villages. Surely, um, it's inevitable that they win it. But there's a complicating factor in the form of a guy called Jason Zadrosny, who, along with Claire Wright, who I knew she's going to visit next week, is one of the few independent, one of two independent candidates in this election who you would say is the favourite to win their seat. He's the council leader. He's the leader of a party called the Ashfield Independents. Used to run the Lib Dems in the constituency, but was arrested on child sex charges, oh, um, did, yes. historical child se- sex charges, weeks before the 2015 election, where he was attempting to overturn a majority of 192. They were subsequently dropped. He's back. He's leader of the council, and he has is pitching himself as the Brexit candidate who can win. And for me... It was a really interesting... That was a really interesting trip because you have three candidates who all thought they're in with a reasonable shot of winning and in their own way are. Obviously, Natalie Fleet, Labour candidate, local woman, works for the uh, National Education Union. Labour vote is still quite sticky. There is an existent Remain vote there of, you know, Mm. 30%. If she can keep her vote to something like it was in 2017, she has a decent chance... If the Leave vote is split three ways, between Jason Zdrozny mm-hmm. for the Ashfield Indies, who is saying, you know, I'm a Lever, I will vote for the deal, but I will also, you know, stand up for Ashfield, as I have done so successfully as the council leader. Lee Anderson, who is attempting to ride, ride the Boris wave into, into Parliament. And then you've got Martin Daubney, the former editor of Loaded, who is running for the, whose dad was a Nottinghamshire <laughs> minor, who is running for the Brexit party. They really um, have it all, do wow. I know, so it's short, a fascinating yeah. constituency. It's something for
2: everyone. <laughs> and the, the,
3: the, interesting, the interesting thing was, you know, I would speak to people there, and the really interesting thing, the person who came up, the J who came up most, God, I'm using all my best lines from my constituency profile, it's not yet published on the podcast, <laughs> but the J who came up most wasn't Jeremy Corbyn, it was Jason Zdrosny, because everybody knows who he is, He's got, he's mm-hmm. a phenomenal campaigner, he's running the council, and the question most people are thinking is, you know, if I am for Brexit, do I want to vote for an independent MP and he's running quite a savvy campaign and saying like I am a Brexiteer, you know me, I'm a local champion, vote for me and you know he's fishing in the same pool of votes as the Conservatives in the Brexit party and you know some Labour votes as well so let's see what happens there. Oh God, that was only one constituency. So the other constituency, <laughs> I'll, 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 let's, let's break it up. But yes. that's
2: Well, <laughs> for a total contrast, I've been in Hampstead and Kilburn, which, so London, North London constituency, quite affluent. So lots of celebrities living around Hampstead Heath, as mm. well as sort of more middle-class West Hampstead and more deprived Kilburn, where Tulip Sadiq is the current Labour MP. And I was talking about this with Stephen and Patrick a few weeks ago, and they were saying that they forget that it's it isn't technically a marginal at the moment. But mm. her majority, Tulip Sadiq's majority, is is huge at the moment. But it has traditionally been a kind of an interesting swing seat that doesn't always move with the national swing. It's been a marginal in the past and it's likely to be a marginal again in a way like this is already a marginal even if it doesn't look like one. Mm. Um, So the Conservatives are are sort of shortly behind her and at the moment, you know, in 2017, the Lib Dems got something like 4,000 votes. But they're in with quite a good chance of winning because it's a sort of affluent Remainer seat. And actually, I think even Tulip Sadiq herself would privately acknowledge that that quite strong majority at the moment is a sort of false majority of, like, resulting from lots of sort of Remainer swings towards her at the last election. So it was really, really interesting being up there because it's basically, I think it looks like the national fight for the Lib Dems, really, what's playing out in Hampstead and Kilburn. It's really like the fight for the Lib Dems to convince people that they can win there. When you look at the figures from 2017, and it looks absolutely hopeless. So Matt Sanders, um, a former advisor to Nick Clegg and a former local councillor who was hilariously in coalition with the Tories on the council, which the Labour campaigners love to bring up, <laughs> um, uh, Matt Sanders is kind of trying to convince people that you know they have polling which shows that they're ahead of Labour. That the people who want to remain, who want the sort of, who want to upgrade their Remain vote from Tulip Sadiq, who is herself a Remainer, Labour. Ca- politician that like they can vote for him and they can win but obviously Tulip Sadiq is kind of already in many ways what those people are looking mm. for and she just thinks it's you know it's ludicrous that he would need to get 30,000 more votes than he did last time to win but you know even like even affluent Tories in that constituency were saying that they would consider voting Lib Dem to keep Corbyn out right. um, so there's just a like a, an amazing dynamic there I think you know if the Lib Dems are going to have the surge that they're expecting. Then Matt Sanders, you know, may well win there, but it doesn't look that likely when you think about the numbers and and who he's up against in Tulip Sadiq.
0: Stephen has just walked in, fresh from Wakefield, looking buoyant. How was it, Stephen?
4: <laughs> um- not that buoyant, <laughs> to be honest. I mean, so I think the the thing I found really weird, and I don't know if this to be anyone else who this, I think this feels like the least election I have ever covered. Right, mm. mostly you arrive somewhere, you arrive at the train station, and then because you know everyone outside of London is friendly and talks to you, and it's yeah. I, I'm not I'm against it, but it's very helpful <laughs> from like a journalistic perspective. <laughs> and they're like, oh, what what brings you to to Barry Island? What brings you <laughs> to Wakefield? What brings and you're like, oh, I'm here about the election, and then you get like, it's nice because it means you start with one like vox pop under the like under the, under your belt. They go like, well, you know, I'm not going to vote for that Ed Miliband,
0: <laughs> and you're like, oh,
4: interesting. And, it's like, and by the way, what is your age, occupation? Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, and then you kind of, well, what I always do in every marginal seat is I kind of start yeah. with this idea of I'm going to get a bus to the hotel, and then you arrive, and it's just like. The next bus is in 2025. <laughs> or you could take a cab, which will take you five minutes. And then you kind of, like, swear about how ridiculous it is how much we neglect public transport outside of London and get your get, get a cab where they go, like, what brings you here? And yeah. you're like, oh, I'm here about the election. And then they go, oh, well, you know, I used to vote Lib Dem, but now I'm voting UKIP. And you're like, Well, wow, the polls seem kind of wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, and and yeah, in the same happens when you check in or when you when you like sit down to eat like in a pizza express alone, and yeah, do all of those other kind of like election things, right? I think this is the first election where at every point, whenever I went, whenever people were like, why are you here? And they're like about the election. They're like, oh, is that show still going on. I kind of, it's, I've kind of gone off it to be honest. Like the the level of of ambient enthusiasm for this electoral event is lower than any i think i have ever
3: covered is that just my experience now my impression Mm. going away uh, sorry coming away from the three places i've been thus far has been turnout is going to be the big one of the big stories of this election not just because we're in winter just because as you say i just think the levels of apathy are quite high Mm. i hate the brenda from bristol thing but there is something in not another one we've done this already it's also december you know, a Tory MP said that to me on Saturday. Well, sorry, a Tory candidate who, until you know, the other day, was a Tory MP, you know, was saying mm-hmm. people just aren't going to turn out. And interestingly, you know, it's not going to be Fred and Gladys who don't turn out. You know, they'll put their an extra vest on and come to the polling station. It will be Worcester woman and Basildon man who, yeah. you know, get in from work and say, oh, God, it's raining and it's dark. I don't fancy it. That's the underlay to just a mood of, oh, more of this politics stuff is the you know when I was trying to vox pop people yeah. in the middle of the day although to what extent is a town centre in the middle of a weekday representative of anything but that's not really the magic
0: yeah no I've, every campaign that I've spoken to so far in the seats that I've gone to visit I, I always ask them what do you think is going to be your biggest challenge to winning or keeping mm-hmm. the seat and they always say Getting people out on the day, and I feel like when I've asked that question in previous elections, sometimes that is the answer, but usually it's you know oh you know if people care enough about the hospital or whatever you know it's it's an election fought on election terms, whereas this is literally like can we get people to be to be bothered to go, and there's very little enthusiasm in the seats that I've been to. So I went to. Chingford and Woodford Green which is Ian Duncan Smith's seat where his majority was massively slashed last time by the Labour Party and to Canterbury yesterday which is Labour's only seat in Kent where the majority is 187 I think and the Conservatives are looking to take it back so I don't know but I I do think this apathy or maybe not apathy because people seem to have a very high knowledge of what's going on in politics but it's it's whether or not they want to participate in it because of the way that sort of they've been treated or they feel that that it's that it's playing out it's been playing out over the last few years that means that they they don't want to sort of lend their support to anyone i think that sort of is spells worse news for labor than, than for the conservatives this time
4: yeah i think what i thought was fascinating about it right is that as well as having deliberately gone to wakefield and then kind of deliberately tried to swing through the kind of other other seats by mm. just kind of going on the the pacer train to other places the comparison to that, where I was deliberately there trying to get a sense of what people thought, to uh, it was my wedding anniversary last week and I went to Edinburgh and spent a horrendously large amount of money on books. Two recommendations for people. One, a, a new bookshop in Portobello called Portobello Books. It is one of the most beautiful bookshops I've ever been to. It's got these very cool sort of modern light. It's, it's very nice. And then the Edinburgh branch of Toppings, which is this huge, amazing place with this incredible depth of, of stock. But the the point of that is that more people voluntarily came up to me while I was nominally on holiday having gone oh I listen to your podcast or oh I've seen your newsnight w- with a genuine intu- w- and were kind of like are you here about the election you kind of oh no you know, what do you think and they'd be like I'm really looking forward to voting for I'm not going to try and name all of the Edinburgh MPs because I'm going to embarrass
3: myself by claiming that Tommy Shepard, oh. who's an MP in Glasgow you know no, he, he is, is he is, <laughs> he is yeah dietary Brock Tommy Shepard, Christine Jardine Ian Murray and I think that's Joanna it. Cherry. And Joanna Cherry, yeah. yeah. And um, and people were genuinely, in every part of the
4: city, coming up to me with genuine enthusiasm to vote for the candidates or to vote for, I'm probably going to get this wrong, Catriona MacDonald, I want to say, is the name of the SNP candidate in Edinburgh South, where, where Ian Murray is, is the, the Labour incumbent. And yeah, the difference between the level of spontaneous enthusiasm I encountered in Scotland and, yeah, the kind of like... Oh, you'll hear about the election. Because so <laughs> the thing I always do to try and counteract the innate unrepresentativeness of a town centre, but is basically I go to the town centre to get quotes. And then I just go and knock on some doors, whether with the local party or sometimes on my own. Mm. And I always think the knocking on the doors, even though you don't get you mm. get a very low standard of quote, um, <laughs> yeah. you get a much better feel, I think, for what has gone on. And yeah, the mm. yeah, I, I one of the things I kind of wrote offhand maybe last week, maybe beginning of this week was whoever wins. One of the few things we can be certain about is that whoever wins will do so with fewer votes than Theresa May got in 2017. I now feel. I now feel 100% confident in that prediction. And I actually think I feel fairly confident that whoever wins will do so with fewer votes than Jeremy Corbyn got in defeat in 2017. I just, Mm. yeah, just the level of of lack of enthusiasm, with obviously the major disclaimer than the... Well, so the interesting thing is basically the thing I keep saying in editorial meetings, the thing I kind of flicked to in the bottom of my column this week, the thing I've blogged on today, which is, Look, there's this thing called the TV debates. They're mm. hugely important. They mostly cause non-trivial moves in the polls. I don't know about anyone else, but I now genuinely wonder how many people will bother to watch them mm. simply because of the lack—yeah, just the, the lack of enthusiasm for politics and this kind of feeling of like, oh, do we have to do it again? And I think that means that. Yeah, I mean, what other thing, but I think that means that. The power of the big lie that Boris Johnson is telling, which is that Brexit will be over and we can like Mm. stop talking about politics afterwards, I think I may have underestimated its pull.
0: Yeah, it's a very appealing line, isn't it? Because get Brexit done can pretty much appeal to any voter. Even if you want to remain and you want to to stop the whole thing happening, that's really just to get it over with, isn't it? (laughs) I mean, you might love the idea that we can remain members of the EU, but get Brexit done is vague enough that that can kind of appeal to to voters in all sorts of places. I think another thing that could change things is the manifestos coming out as well. A lot Mm. of Labour activists are relying on the bounce that they got last time round happening again. And now it's time for a section we like to call You Ask Us. us. Oh, isn't that nice? The whole choir is here. <laughs> so, this is a question that Stephen and I received from Graham Neal over email. What role will Northern Ireland, the ginger stepchild of UK politics, asterisk? I'm from there, so I can get away with that. Play <laughs> you in better this be.
3: <laughs> well, we, actually, we actually have a ginger from Northern Ireland in. <laughs> in yeah, the room. we do. Yeah. Yeah. And
2: I would never even say that.
3: <laughs> <laughs> what, does it, what, is, what does it mean?
2: The ginger stepchild I don't think that's a phrase. No, I think it is. It's I think like- it means that it's sort of neglected. The
3: stepchild no, isn't neglected. Isn't the
4: ginger stepchild like oh, something about ginger
3: stepchild, sorry, I thought you were saying like a step made out of ginger. It's something about <laughs> What? I mean, I thought that was some sort of weird idiom, you know, like oh like a the, ginger step the ginger step child rather than ginger step child. Go and sit on in, the ginger step. Your yeah, 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 yeah. child. I'm sorry. Okay. I get, Is that I, what your
0: I parents don't... used to say to you man? all the time?
4: Wait, so you thought that he was addressing us as
3: child. He was going the ginger step comma child. No, no, I thought he was saying like Ginger stepchild.
2: Look what you've like done, Graham. The, the child sitting on the ginger step. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, Okay, right. Okay, so his question Obviously. Is, <laughs> his question is, what part will
0: it play in this election? Given British reporting of the country has recently been a bit poor, as Brexit illustrated... Poor Patrick there, maligned. Is there any indication things are changing?
3: Depends, depends how you define changing. I mean, there has been a huge change electorally in Northern Ireland ahead of this election, which is the birth of the electoral pact that really ought to have happened strategically on the Remain side, if you want to call it the Remain side, there's a question of whether that's actually what it is Mm. um, in terms of other parties standing down for each other in a bid to minimise the DUP's representation at Westminster. So in North Belfast, where Nigel Dodds is defending a majority of 2,000 over Sinn Féin, the SDLP, the moderate constitutional nationalist party, have stood aside, as have the Greens. And in South Belfast, where the DUP pipped the SDLP by... Just over two thousand votes in twenty seventeen, which Alva is from South Belfast. She can attest Woo-woo! that it's, uh, you know, for the large part the best leafy. Best seat in the world. Yeah, yeah, large part leafy. Voted overwhelmingly to remain, but is now, you know, paradoxically represented by DUP I love how leafy is basically politico speak for posh, but votes for a left wing party most <laughs> of the time. <laughs> leafy,
4: mm.
2: we all uh,
3: literally, it's, it's what it means. Anyway, yeah, yeah, I mean, not all of it is leafy. You know, there are pockets of deprivation and. Mm. whatever but like you know when you think south belfast yeah you think
2: more middle class more middle yeah. class
3: and slightly more pluralistic in its output output outlook although you're pluralistic in your
2: and your output, <laughs> your, uh,
3: output south belfast. and so yeah they're the big two seats where packs have been agreed the you'll U- mm. see unionists have a new leader in steve Aitken, who is small l liberal by the standards of that party a remainer Former submarine commander—that's not part of his political disposition. It's just <laughs> fairly interesting. Who made waves on the morning of the DUP's conference by saying, "You know what? I'm going to run in every seat in Northern Ireland, including Nigel Dodds' seat, where they haven't run since 2010." You know, and I, I don't care the consequence for the union because DUP MPs have shown in their mishandling of the Brexit scenario that they are not defenders of the union. Then there was a week in which you know lots of people within the UUP within the DUP some, what you might call loyalist paramilitaries, were all saying, Steve, this isn't a good idea. So before Steve Aiken was even confirmed as leader, he just sort of went, yeah, I'm not going to run in North Belfast anymore. And so, actually, you know, we've got a really interesting competition in those two seats. Lady Sylvia Herman has stood down in North Down as well, so that's a really fascinating contest. And the question, the question is, there's you know, one big question is, you know, this is framed as a, a Remain pact, but it's not lost on anyone that... It's mainly Nationalist Party standing down for each other. Yeah, The other's sort of statistically insignificant in most of the seats they're standing down in. And the Alliance Party a smart opportunity in this because, you know, they have always rejected electoral pacts apart from in the immediate aftermath of the Good Friday Agreement, where they stood down for a few, pe- few pro-agreement people. You know, and they're saying, you know, this is a sectarian cover, we can't allow this. And they hope actually in some places they might be the main beneficiaries of this. Because if you're an SDLP voter in North Belfast... You know, you've stuck with the party through thick and thin. Its vote has been squeezed to the extent that they now lose their deposit in North Belfast, or at least as in 2017. You really, really, really don't want to vote for Sinn Féin Mm. for a range of reasons. And, you know, if you are Newland Callister, the popular former Lord Mayor of Belfast, top the polls in the council elections in Belfast, you might think, well, actually, those 2000 SDLP voters are probably more likely to come to me than they are to go to John Finucane, the Sinn Féin candidate. Or they might even go, well, actually... Abstentionism is such a deal breaker for me, or I don't want to breakfast and faint uh, that much. I would rather, okay, um, this might be a small group, but they might say, Well, I'd rather Nigel Dodds' my mm. MP, than an, abs- an absentee MP.
2: Mm. Mm. In a way, the DUP can never quite match how well they did at the last election, just even in terms of numbers. They, you know, they did so well. It was a sort of uniquely polarised time in Northern Ireland. They have nowhere else to go except lose seats at this election. And like and then as Pat was saying, like with Remain Pacts on top of that, it looks likely that in somewhere like South Belfast, Emily little Pengelly when you look She's at She's Yeah, I mean it's it's gonna be Claire Hand, I think we can call it. That's the only thing I would put money on this election that it'll be an S D L P MP for South Belfast that Yeah, the DUP, like they had nowhere more to go, and I think Remainers in general are more organised this time.
3: Yeah, I I, I agree with that, Mm. but I actually think that even though the DUP ought to only be going down, the call I would Mm. make is they'll probably hold North Belfast narrowly Mm. for the sort of reasons I set out just then. But also I think the UUP have really missed a trick in North Down where they haven't run a candidate since Sylvia Herman defected, or rather resigned from the UUP, over their ill-fated electoral alliance with the Tories in 2009. And there was a real opportunity there. They ran a big-name liberal unionist. like They tried to get George Hamilton, the former chief constable of the PSNI, the Police Service of Northern Ireland, to run, or they could have got Mike Nesbitt, their well-regarded former leader, who slightly before his time you know, was doing this sort of... Happy, clappy, pluralist thing, mellifluous voice, former UTV newsreader, as Alva will be well familiar with. But instead, they've run a fairly anonymous local assembly member. Alliance will be fighting with them like a ferret in a sat for that seat. You know, the Lady Herman's vote is going to be cleaved in two. Mm. Um, so like, I just sort of think the, whole, the DP will hold North Belfast, probably win North Down. They'll lose South Belfast, but then they've still got 10 seats. You have, might have an SDLP MP or two if Column Eastwood gets in in foil. But, I mean, again, the SDLP have given up on making an intellectual argument against abstentionism. This is the big thing in this election, right? If you say, yeah. Yeah. OK, an abstentionist MP is fine for you in North Belfast, but vote for me, Column Eastwood, leader of the SDLP in, in foil, it doesn't really make sense. And also, like, the sine qua non of the SDLP in these elections has always been, like, we're suitable... We're cuddly. We yeah. fought the good fight. Well, we didn't. They we didn't <laughs> fight a fight. Is the we didn't fight a fight? Um, and please send your complaints <laughs> to. Um, we didn't. We didn't fight a fight. Apart from with hearts and minds and purely constitutional means, like we are fine. Like mm. the DUP immediately after that deal was struck in North Belfast was saying no unionist in Foyle should vote for Colum Eastwood because you know he is. Um, on a joint ticket with Sinn Féin, which is, you know, slightly unfair, but that's clearly how it will be, is being sold. And I think in terms of the question
4: of, is the media coverage going to improve, I mean, Mm. I kind of think we've had a pretty good stress test of that, and visibly Mm. it won't. I can't remember which vote it was when the DUP took their time getting up, which Uh. is not unusual, right, when people vote in the Commons, because it's a very long line, and lots of MPs try and time it quite late so they can spend the bare minimum of time you I'm know standing there. in the division lobbies and people started going oh are the DUPs abstaining you know may- maybe it could <laughs> pass you know you know people who literally work for the British broadcasting corporation and and one of those things were just like guys, surely you've got one of these 10 people's mobile numbers. Surely, between you, right, you're a huge organisation and we're literally compelled by law to fund if we want to watch live television in this country. Um, And quite visibly they didn't, right, because then they all started getting, well, then people who did have the numbers of 10 people who passed laws, you know, when they're not abstaining, they all got up. And I just think one of the really striking things, and in many ways I actually think this is, from the DUP's perspective, the biggest tragedy of their period of political influence, is that it turns out that the rest of Great Britain's level of interest in Northern Ireland is so low that even when the DUP holds the identity of our government in its hands, people still cannot be bothered to treat the 10 MPs from Northern Ireland who actually take their seats as if they are serious political actors, right? There is literally no way that, like, Actually, I mean, we've got an exact example of this, right? The 11 Change UK, Hmm. briefly, MPs, right? There is no way that that many people from the BBC would have been going, oh, who knows what these 11 people were doing? I I couldn't possibly have the number of any of these 11 people. And I think that, Hmm. I think, yeah, and even though we may have a parliament exactly like this one or or another one in which uh, those MPs hold the balance of power, I just think that... If the last two years prove anything, it is that not even that level of influence will improve the le- the
3: coverage of of Northern Ireland by the mainstream press. I just can't wait for the Sun piece on 13th of December. What is Hannah? How tall is she? <laughs> <laughs> who is who, who is, is her, her husband? Who is her wife? <laughs> uh, <laughs> can
2: you write it so that we steal all the backstories? The thing is, I can
3: answer all those questions.
2: I mean, it's so true. I mean, especially when it was only the DUP, it was one party plus Sylvia Herman to grapple with. I mean, what's mm. going to happen yeah if another party is added to the mix?
3: I know, but the thing is, like, and, but the thing is, lady, like, I don't know why I use the honorific. Okay. She in is great. In defiance of our house style, <laughs> lady, like, but the thing is, like, not to blow my own trumpet or blow our own trumpet in how seriously we take this. You know, we're speaking about on the podcast, but like, I'm on the, on, the, on the day of the vote confidence in May's government. People were going, How is Lady Herman gonna vote? You know, could she vote this way? Could she vote that way? And like, people were like getting into sort of 20 tweet threads about this. And I said, like, <laughs> Well, maybe like one of us could, you know, ring her. So I'm like, i I texted her and said, would you vote for this? <laughs> and she just said right him no. no, it's like how is how is nobody like, <laughs> like we actually work in this building. Like it wouldn't be hard. Like even if you didn't have a number, just to hang around in Portcullis House and say, "Hi, Lady Herman, can you answer this question?" That's literally what we're there for. It's nuts. Yeah. He actually, his Forlock when he said, "Lady Herman," just yeah. Yeah. like. <laughs> <laughs> I besieged myself to you. Yeah. What's she saved in your phone as uh, literally
4: Lady <laughs> <Ben>. <laughs> And on that bomb As is we'll only right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back next week. <laughs> You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Stephen Bush, my colleagues with me Stephen Bush, my colleagues Anoose Shakellion, Alva Ray, and Patrick Maguire. It's recorded by Emily Bootle and produced by Nick Hilton. Our music is still devil by the devil licensed under creative commons. If you've enjoyed the new states from podcast, please do leave a favorable review on your podcast provider.
1: Planning for your next trip?